Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Ticking along, ticking along. Yeah. There are ups, there are downs. It all seems fine. <laughs> That's, I mean, you can't argue with that. It's true. I did the nerdiest thing I've ever done in my entire life last week. So, um, well, what um, was that? I, me and my friend Seanine flew to England in order to see another history podcast do their first ever live <laughs> show. <laughs> that is nerdy. I know. Tra- traveling countries to see a podcast recording is, I think, yeah, the nerdiest thing it's possible to do in this, the year of our Lord. 2018 2018, yeah Yeah. um and we got off at like six o'clock in the morning and got an early morning flight (laughs) and then spent the day at at the tower of london Mm -hmm. uh, which is absolutely crackers by the way yeah it's fun it's a fun time it's very expensive but oh yeah i've i've never gone in and done the expensive parts of it like seeing the crown jewels or anything i've just done the cheaper version where you wander around and look at the ravens and speculate over (laughs) i would totally recommend it yeah because it was good fun but i i was saying to pushman that if you were a tourist and you came to england or you went to england and went to london and then you went to like just the Tower of London and Buckingham Palace, you'd be like, England is an odd country full of gold and death and nothing else. (laughs) Every so often, like it's not the bridge I most often go past, but whenever I go past Tower Bridge, I'm like, they used to just leave bodies on that. They used to put heads on spikes on that bridge right there. It's very odd. It was great. And then we went to see Rex Factor podcast recorded live. And then the next day... We came home. So I'm dealing with the residual mild shame of being the nerdiest human that ever lived. <laughs> Although having said that, my partner was at a beer festival and he, which is about two minutes away from my house, and he met a man who had flown from England to come to a beer festival in Belfast. So that is that also pretty nerdy. That's significantly more nerdy because you can just go to a beer festival anywhere. There's one in every town hall. You don't even have to go to a festival. You can just go to the pub. You can go to the supermarket and bring the beer festival into your living room. At least mine was a location specific thing. Mm. Whereas you can just just go and buy some beer. It's just in the supermarket. It's literally everywhere. There's an incredible range nowadays, even at my little local Tesco of interesting craft beers. So. No, what you are you just doing? nip down there. Yeah. Nip down. Anyway, so yeah, so that was my week. That's very good. I've done nothing. I've sat <laughs> at home um, re-watching The Magicians. So Nice. Yeah. As the only people who are watching it in the whole world. In the whole and, world. But they're glad that you are. <laughs> I keep trying to make other people care about The Magicians and they don't. And it's very upsetting for me because it's so fucking good. It is a bit, you know, there is some dark subject matter and it takes a while to really get going. And there are some missteps at times. But by season three, it's just such a rip-roaring show. I love it so much. Highly I'm, recommend I'm, it. I, I hear you. And I, I know that I'll probably never watch it. But I'm glad you brought it up because it kind of <laughs> links to what we're doing this week on History is Sexy, the thing that we're here to talk about. Yeah, well, what do we do as, on History is Sexy anyway? And who are we? We should remember to do that sort of oh, thing. Shit, yeah. Hi, I'm Dr. <laughs> Emma Southern. <laughs> and I am a historian. That's very good. I'm uh, Janina Mackison. I don't have a title, but I'm not a historian because historians You're... have titles. That's how you can tell. It is. Yeah. Um, it I is. like history. I feel like you could sell yourself better than that, though. That's I, not very good. Try I again. Have, I have half a university degree in, in <laughs> half history. Okay. Yeah. But you have many other talents. I do. None of them are worth anything, which is why I am constantly struggling for money. But I have them, and that's what really matters. Well, I tell you, no one pays historians that much either, so... Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what we do here for no money at all, but just for the love of it, is we answer people's questions and then tell them how their question is actually really sexy. Yeah. And because also history is sexy. Half the time, a lot more complicated than that. I would say maybe 99% of the time. Um, Which is, I and mean, this is, week's question is one of those questions. Yeah. Sex is um, also complicated, so history is both sexy and complicated, which just makes it even sexier. Yes. Yeah. Everyone knows that the more complicated something is, the sexier it is. 
So what question are we answering this week? This week we are answering a question from at Chris underscore Mala on Twitter. And his question is, what is the history and origin of omens? I heard once that the magpie thing comes from the fact that they mate for life. So that if there's one on its own, it means its partner's dead. But what about others? So this is a really um, difficult question because it's basically like etymology, which is a lot of the time very difficult. Uh, because yeah, and there all are the stuff no happens real, organically. Yeah, there's no like real origin for a lot of... Like he's called them omens, but they're basically like superstitions. Mm. Like the magpie thing that he's referring to, unless he's referring to another one that I've never heard of, is I assume the fact that you salute a magpie if you see it by itself, which is related to the little poem, which when the version that I always heard mm-hmm. and that I know goes one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told. But I have now found multiple other versions. <laughs> and it turns out that my version is not by any stretch of the imagination, even in the top 10 most common <laughs> versions, which was surprising to me because it never really occurred to me that there would be one that many other versions or that I would have a weirdo one. I always found that song really disturbing and I didn't hear it a lot. Like it's not a thing really in New Zealand, but it comes up in fiction sometimes. Like it comes up in, I think Neil Gaiman features it in one of his books yeah. and that sort of thing. And whenever it comes up, it terrifies me because magpies in New Zealand are horrifying. They are, <laughs> they're not the same species as British magpies at all. And they're incredibly territorial they will literally fly down and peck at your head if you walk too close to the tree where their nest is. <laughs> so there used to be a magpie in our neighbourhood when I was a teenager and my younger brother had a, a paper route that went through all of these really lovely suburban safe streets in this new sub-de- sub-development and he went armed with a tennis racket <laughs> because there was a magpie and it would swoop at him and threaten him. <laughs> And they, I shouldn't and, laugh. That's not funny. That's it's terrible. terrifying. And they do, and they can really hurt you. So whenever I um, see something about, you know, a child coming across three magpies and being, oh, delightful, I will talk to them. I'm like, no, run, run, child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah magpies here aren't that scary, to be honest, yeah. apart from the fact that they are omens of death. Yeah. It's a version that I always heard of that. Like the version about magpies mating for life is not one that I had ever heard before. And when I was in the Tower of London, I learned that ravens mate for life. And mm. so possibly that is a confusion with I ravens. I mean, a lot of birds do. Yeah. There is a superstition or a, a, um, I found a book called The Encyclopedia of Superstitions, which is from like the 40s and was very useful in describing the infinite different ways in which humans have mapped meaning onto literally everything that's ever happened in nature. (laughs) It's very long and like alphabetical and my goodness me. (laughs) Um, But they basically, there's a superstition there that magpies, a single magpie is a good sign of good weather because... Uh, as a sign of bad weather, sorry, whereas two magpies is a sign of good weather because if both magpies have left the nest at the same time in springtime, that means that one of them isn't staying back to keep the babies warm. Ah, oh, because they're warm enough on their own. So one for sorrow there means one for bad weather and two for joy is two for warm weather. Yeah. But so I trace, like, basically, this one is one of the few superstitions um, which is actually reasonably well like attested in yeah. terms of how where it comes from so there's like five different versions of the of the, the rhyme yeah so yeah. apparently the most common one although i had never heard it before in my life goes one for sorrow two for mirth three for a wedding four for a birth five for silver six for gold seven for a secret never to be told eight for a wish nine for a kiss ten for a bird you must not miss which obviously is nonsensical mm. yeah yeah what is the bird you must not miss Yeah, and then the earliest version that was ever written down comes from 1740 and is just the first four lines, one for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for a birth. And then in an 1864 version, and these are like in collections of folk songs, basically, where people were going around and writing down little 
folk songs. There was those four lines, and then the five for heaven, six for hell, seven for the seven for the devil, his own self, Ooh. and then it ends. Which obviously is not really it all kind of the idea of it as a prophecy of anything yeah. just drops off. The version that I heard was that with the two for a girl, three for a boy, whatever, is that it was a kind of prophecy for pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, one was uh, meant that you would have a miscarriage or would lose the baby in some way and two was a successful pregnancy, so you would salute the magpie in order to ward it off. Yeah. But according to the Encyclopedia of Superstition, it is a Christ, like a Christian sort of folklore that the reason that magpies are evil and that seeing a single magpie by itself is um, bad luck is in some sense that is unclear is that magpie was the only animal that refused to enter the ark when Noah Ooh. was trying to get them on there and instead it decided to just fly around for 40 days or 40 nights and laugh at everybody sure there is uh, apparently in some parts of scotland uh, magpies are believed to carry a drop of the devil's blood on their tongues where did it get the devil's blood they i don't know there's another also refused to get on the ark. There's another claim that they were the only bird that didn't sing or comfort Jesus when he was crucified. Oh, they're getting like they're on the wrong side of everything. <laughs> My favorite thing that I read when I, about magpies though is that in some parts of the UK apparently it is because the superstition is around lone magpies. If you see a magpie yeah. on its own, that means it's bad luck. So in some parts of the UK apparently there is a custom <laughs> to greet I like a magpie yeah. <laughs> and ask after his wife in order to show him respect so he won't curse you and also imply that somewhere just out of sight there is actually a second magpie and therefore there's no bad luck to be around the magpie i love I that like, like that you could just will another are, magpie into being <laughs> i love that you are saying this with like sheer horror because this is to me a fundamental <laughs> no, fact delightful. of life like you're like completely blown away whereas i'm like yeah, obviously you salute a magpie, Janina. Like, but you if you see just... one magpie by itself, then you say, you. I should say, good morning, Mr. Magpie. How's your wife and children? Or possibly where's your wife and children? Mm-hmm. But at a push, just a wee nod will do. Just this say is... hello. Just to give it a bit of respect so it this doesn't This is curse incredible you. to me. I love it. But a friend of mine who I went to university with had a very involved one where she would make what would now be kind of the white power okay symbol you know that <laughs> thing like that in the past year or so has become a white power thing and then some whoever was with her if there was somebody else with her they would have to break it with their little finger to ward off yeah yes. to ward off the evil i don't know what she did when she was by herself to be honest but every so often you'd be walking along having a chat and she would do what at the time was a perfectly innocuous symbol <laughs> <laughs> and would now be uh probably cause some problems but yeah so yeah. but yeah totally everybody salutes a raven but this is apparently um, not in new zealand maybe if you saluted ravens more often in new zealand janina they would attack you less <laughs> not ravens ravens are cool we're oh, sorry um, magpies. magpies magpies are brutal bastards as far as i'm concerned and i'm still i still get a little <laughs> bit unnerved when i see magpies in britain even though i know they're not at all the same kind um, and they're everywhere. I just just have this ingrained terror of them. That's that's fair. I think if they've attacked you a lot, then <laughs> then that's okay. But the thing is, with all of this, with all these superstitions, the reason why there are so many different interpretations, even around that one simple myth, is because it happens organically, and because it's based around success stories and survivorship bias, which yeah. is basically uh, my example of this that I've I have chosen to use is a modern one. If you are on the internet at all, if you go onto Tumblr or somewhere, you probably will see, it even happens on Twitter, but I don't think as much, someone reblogging like a money dog or something. Like a yeah, basically like a chain dog. emails. Yeah, like a chain blog post that says, reblog this and you'll get some money. And the comments are always full of people saying like, holy shit, I reblogged this two weeks ago and I just got an unexpected check for 50 quid. <laughs> and no one in the comments is saying, I reblogged this and nothing happened. Because people only remark when something is remarkable and then the remarks are all you're left with. So you only see successes because no one's bothering to talk about the completely ordinary and expected thing, which is 
a sign wasn't actually a sign because they almost always are not. Plus you do it like, you know, just in case. Like you don't want to fuck with fate, yeah. basically. My general rule of life is, so I do, I will nod at a magpie if I notice one by itself or have mm-hmm. a look around for the second one. I'll always check and see if there's another one around and then I'm okay. Yeah. And I, I don't particularly like to walk over three manhole covers. Like, yeah. if I, I can avoid it without looking like too much of a twat, then I will avoid them. I found a really good thing about that, actually, which is that... So in the UK, the thing is that you don't walk over three manhole covers. So if you've got, like, those ones that are three in a row mm-hmm. over usually, like, telecoms things, I assume, or, like, gas lines or whatever, then you just don't walk over them. It's bad luck. It's just you don't want to attract some bad luck to you. Stepping on a crack, you'll break your bones. Yeah, and there's like various different ways I've heard all over the years about uh, like ways that you can negate it if you happen to walk over three. When I was younger, the thing used to be that you would spit on the third one and that would, which is obviously gross, so never did that, I have (laughs) to say. But that was the thing. But also in doing the research for this, I found that other versions are that you that if you find two and walk over it then it will negate it mm. or if you walk over the three backwards then it kind of undoes it yeah this one was really interesting because one i found like there's a bunch of stuff on like quora and things that no person under the age of 70 uses and there were all these people on quora in particular insisting that they had never heard of this if you walk over three manhole covers, it's bad luck. Um, mm-hmm. And just swearing, like, I'm 56 years old and I've never heard of this in my life. Rah, 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 rah. And just insisting that it wasn't a thing, which it is, definitely is. I'd never heard of it. it it's, I think, it, well, I was going to say it was a UK-centric thing, but mm-hmm. then I found this article from Sweden, which was about this superstition in Sweden that if you walk over manhole covers with an A on them, then that's bad luck. But if you walk over ones with a K on them, then they're good luck. And the A and the K obviously are just like company names or whatever. But there is, that's what like the kind of kid superstition in Sweden is. Mm. So they're the round, they're just like the round ones with an A and a K. Yeah. And... This the article came about because in 2014, so there was a report of what appeared to be a drunk driver in a place called Linkaping, which is, sounds great, mm-hmm. because there was a driver swerving around the road, and when they came and found like pulled the driver over and asked them what the hell was going on, the driver was trying to avoid driving over manhole covers with the letter A on them. It does not seem like a good way to drive. <laughs> obviously it's lunatic but this is like a a, re, a pretty common kind of folklore superstition in Sweden and they have all of these different narratives as to why each different one is dangerous like some they all have different versions of what the A and the K stand for technically they just stand for like district heating or yeah. drains or whatever this, this is the thing this is what I was saying is that the way that that they become superstitions is that we talk about the times they were true and not the times but they I, weren't. I don't think it's even like, because I think the things with, with ones like this is that it's not even linked to anything specific. Like you can't find anyone who's like, oh, I walked over three manhole covers and then I <laughs> broke my ankle. Or I walked over three manhole covers and then I was hit by a car or anything. Or like, then I lost the lottery I or then I turned around find- and- People whose mothers, brothers, cousins, uncles did, you know? But I think it's le- not even, like, related to anything specific. or It's just, like, a thing that you know, like, that comes out from, like, conversations that you have with other people when you're a child or, like, mm. that's in the cultural ether that isn't linked to... Like, chain letters and stuff are always linked to... And I'm old enough. We probably both are old enough to remember when chain letters were literal fucking letters that people yeah. would send you. Oh, the post. I had to, I physically wrote out so many chain letters when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the same thing. The reason that you did it was because you don't want to tempt the bad luck because they always come with. I think that the ones on Tumblr don't anymore. They just come with like that. If you do this, a good thing yeah. will happen. There's but their chain that, letters like, were like, if you don't write this out, your mother will die. 
Yeah, and they did used to be like that. Yeah, completely. And like the don't step on cracks that you said was another one that used to be like if you step on cracks, your mother you'll break your mother's back, mm. which was more of a like uh, less of a don't do this to avoid generic bad luck but like a very specific thing yeah that one there's a lot of people who are desperately trying to find a specific reason for why where the step on a crack and break your mother's back comes with, from with that one i'm really like i'm fairly confident that someone just said a rhyme yeah you know it's a it's a catchy rhyme and that's all it so was the most convincing on that that like most reasonable one was that it was a book in 1905 of children's rhymes that had it as step on a crack you'll break your mother's back step on a line you'll break your father's spine step in a ditch your mother's nose will itch step in the dirt you'll tear your father's shirt but other theories that i also found were that it was a bizarre racist rhyme about interracial marriage from the 60s oh shit that was initially step on a crack and your mother's baby will be black which is just a made-up thing. Uh, <laughs> I could not find anything outside of that. As far as I can tell, someone has just come up with a bizarre, like, I don't know, backronym, racism. Like, I have no idea what yeah. that's about. Um, an absolute nutjar made up the story that the phrase was created by Cyrus Craig of the Martin Marietta Materials Corporation because they knew that their concrete had cracking issues which presented themselves during the first 14 hours of the curing process and they had just sold a large quantity of concrete to Paris and they knew that the French population was composed, quote, of the superstitious and ignorant... So Mr. Craig came up with the idea that stepping on cracks would cause irreparable spinal harm to female family members. Now, Janina, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. I don't I think have... that's true in the slightest. I mean, it's immediately, it's in that 1905 book, so that's an immediate, <laughs> like, way of debunking that one but it is still like why would you even come up with this i quite like these ones which are like no every like these superstitions have a very specific cultural start point or the the idea that like manipulating and under what circumstances were the people of paris uh one of the world's greatest metropolitans superstitious and ignorant in 1908 yeah and like all of them you know, all of them Every were. single one of them. And what does, like, why would they... Surely that's just asking people to look for the cracks. Exactly. You don't want to advertise the that's cracks in your concrete. That's not diverting away from the fact that it cracks. That's saying, look at all the cracks. Yeah. Look at how shit we are at making concrete. It's really cracky. Don't well, pay attention to how many of them there are. It is incredibly hard. Yes, it is. That's why it's we, one of them. You have to be so precise with your chemistry making concrete. Concrete. So I'm not unsympathetic with the with the problem, <laughs> but um, if if you have that problem, don't invent a rhyme to make people look out for it. To make people really clear of it. Yeah. No, that's just silly. But there is this real sense amongst like the people to have some kind of specific reason for why these superstitions exist when all it really is is that these superstitions things like being afraid of the number 13 and not having a 13th floor or not walking over three manhole covers or having i found a really nice book which i totally recommend looking at called the luck archive by an artist called mark menjavar which is just a collection of photographs and descriptions of things that people do for luck basically so lucky objects that people have little rituals they have when they're like playing the lottery little stories about luck that they have and ways in which they try to like people who have lucky jewelry there was one woman who has a a jade ring which is in the shape of a frog Mm -hmm. and during the day she has the frog so its mouth is facing outwards so that it can absorb all of the luck and then when she goes to sleep at night she turns it round so that the bum is pointing outwards so that it can excrete out all of the bad luck overnight (laughs) and then she turns it around again and she says that when she if she's having a bad day she'll check to make sure that the ring is on the right way round (laughs) 
that it's like that its bum isn't still pointing out during the day and just lots and lots of things like that and like lists of he asked like people who work in you know corner shops what the kind of things that people do for luck when they're buying lottery tickets and stuff yeah and you know and everybody has I think apart from our partner who claims to not have any like little things that they do to yeah either for good luck to bring good luck to them like they have a lucky object or a lucky little ritual or something like that or to avoid bad like like knocking on wood like Mm. even if you don't do it you'll probably say it yeah when I was at high school in the 90s um New Zealand started doing really well in the America's Cup Mm -hmm. I don't know does Britain compete in the America's Cup Janina I don't know what the America's Cup is it's a yachting race. Okay, right. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, and I had, ne- I probably had never heard of it until all of a sudden New Zealand was doing really well in it, which is really, really rare. The America's Cup is hardly ever won by not America. Is and it because no one else joins in? No, is it like the World Series? Do. So it's definitely been won by Australia a couple of times as well. I don't know how many I don't know how many people will compete in it. I've literally never paid any attention to it since this point. But we started doing really well in it. And um in an interview, the captain or or of or whatever I mean, I guess he must have been the captain, I don't know, revealed that he had a pair of lucky red socks that he was wearing in every race. Yeah. So someone, I think New Zealand post shop maybe started selling red socks and literally all of New Zealand just bought red socks and wore them on the day of every race and we won it and then we successfully defended the next one as well with again everyone wearing their red socks and I literally have never cared about the America's Cup at any other time but to this day I kind of if I see someone not from New Zealand wearing red socks I'm like what what what's that (laughs) they're ours they're our good luck socks you fuck off Maybe they're supporting New Zealand. Maybe they are. In the America's Cup. In the America's Cup, because everyone cares about yachting so much. Yeah, and sports are, like, the place where, like, certain sports are freakishly, like, superstitious and have all these little rituals. Mm. Like, I'm a big tennis fan, and I really love Rafa Nadal, and Mm. always have. And he has, like, little rituals that now must be so ingrained into his body that they... he. I don't think he could not do them even if he didn't want to like at, at the end of each break between points his water bottle has to be facing in a certain direction and then he will always do like it drives people who don't like him mad that he will always put his hair behind his ears and then make sure that like and then pluck at his underwear and then do a little like one two jiggle and it's like the yeah. same ritual for every single serve. Which at this point, when that's your thing, like it's a, it, I feel like it's to a certain extent is a self fulfilling prophecy. Like if you realise yeah. past way, part way through a tennis match that you've missed part of your ritual, it will probably throw you off your game. Yeah, and exactly. Make you a little bit uncomfortable. And it's the same with baseball players who are like the most notorious and uh, the Luck Archive book has lots of people like baseball players rituals in it specifically and they are even more specific like having to like walk half a step and then take half a step back and then go around and then stretch and then have this particular song thing and like they get like into these loops and they're like well as long all the time that it's working like it is I think it's one of those things where it's people it's when we try and give ourselves the illusion of control yeah in something we feel like and probably accurately we don't have a lot of control yeah because that centers you a bit and it makes you calmer and gives you a little bit more not control over the situation really but over yourself so that sort of the function of it it is. And study is like fairly obviously, this is one of those things where scientists have done a thing and you're like, show that people who have kind of fairly strong beliefs in luck or in superstitious behaviours in some way, when tested will have what's called an external locus of control, which is that they see the world uh, and as being effectively controlled by things outside of themselves while those who have an internal locus of control who see were things that happen to them as being fundamentally controlled by themselves have much weaker superstitious beliefs which is once again fairly obvious yeah and then they make all of these like 
extrapolations from that because there's nothing that psychologists like more than extrapolating and, and like they... historically speaking when we as a as a species were so dependent on things like the weather mm-hmm. all of this stuff obviously becomes then exponentially important like we're pre- like most of us now unless you are like your job is running a, a vineyard or something whatever happens with the weather our lives continue the same but that didn't used to be the case. And if you can't control the weather, but you can control how you treat your gods or your superstitions, then that's what you do. Yeah. You feel like you have some sort of stake in your own life. Yeah, exactly. And you, you know, the when you are more connected to the natural world, then you will read meaning into the natural world. So mm-hmm. like augury, for example, like, because basically much as we'll all hate to say it, like saluting a magpie is essentially the same as augury, which is reading bird patterns of bird movement and then saying that it means something. <laughs> so yeah. like the Rom- Rome is called Rome because Romulus won who got to be the king of Rome, basically between Romulus and Remus. Um, and everyone knows that he killed his brother. But the full story is that they're having this argument. They were going to start this city. They're having an argument about what who was going to be the king and what they were going to name it. And they came to the conclusion that they would both go and sit on their respective hills. So Remus sat on the Aventine and Romulus sat on the Capitoline, glaring at each other. And the first person to see some vultures would be the winner. Mm-hmm. And Remus saw six vultures and he went, ha ha And he ran over to the Capitoline to say to Romulus, I saw six vultures. And Romulus goes, ah, oh, well, I saw 12. And Remus goes, oh, okay, that kind of sucks. And then wanders away. And then people start saying, I don't think he saw any vultures at all. Uh, I think he lied about seeing the vultures. And then when Remus goes and confronts Romulus, that's when Romulus kills him. Right. Which is a fucking wild way to start a city. And to it's, that's your myth. You lied about seeing some vultures and then you killed your brother. Yeah. It's very roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the ancient world loved augury. And, you know, the medieval world loved augury as well. Seeing birds. And, you know, you've read the, I don't know, maybe you haven't. You read the Odyssey? Yeah. yeah like the years. The beginning of the Odyssey, when Odysseus's son, whatever the fuck his name is, I can't remember. Telemachus. Uh, Telemachus, thank you, is having a um, meeting with the elders uh, of Ithaca, and then they see see the birds flying above them and the eagles attacking some other birds, and they all like, oh shit, that's a sign, and that's a sign that Odysseus is eventually going to come back and kill the suitors, and you know all of these things are are signs and when birds did shit it was a sign that god was trying to tell you something or the gods were trying to tell you something through birds that's basically and there are all sorts of like specific examples of this which are difficult to sort of look into because if it's about a specific event you there's no way to know whether the reports of the omens came before or after the event happened but there's things like ancient world fucking loved an omen yeah like, like anything was an omen. That bee landed on a th- on a statue. It's bad <laughs> omen. Bees yeah. were bad omens in the ancient world. Comets got, were bad omens. Everything. Got ravens was a bad falling omen. dead at the feet of Alexander the Great, apparently foretelling he was about to die. And yeah. serpent uh, apparently ate nine sparrows, which indicated that the Trojan War would be a long and all sorts of things like that. But you like, there's no. There's no locking that down. Reading Roman sources is really fun. Like, so you read Tacitus, which I've done a lot of, and he is like supposedly this extremely straightforward, like bluff historian bloke that bluff historian blokes who love battles love. But then at the, pretty much the end of every chapter, and certainly at the beginning of end of every year, he tells you all the omens for the year. So he's like, and then. A statue was struck by lightning and then some bees landed on a statue and then uh, a half pig, half bird was born. And then, and you're like, okay. (laughs) Animal birth ones are like so creepy. Yeah, like, they're like, yeah, they love a good animal birth one. mm -hmm. And like, you'll still find those in in cultures that um, have, that are, are more 
more comfortable with what we in the West would call superstition because so I got really stuck into reading about this and had a great time with reading about the concept of superstition and folk magic and why we view it in kind of the the modern anglophone west with such such so pejoratively basically like the notion that that superstition is irrational and that there can be nothing worse than being irrational Mm. whereas in cultures that do not have like the hang-up that we have for rationality who have not lifted the enlightenment and secularism into basically godlike proportions (laughs) Which we have, and I listened to the perfectly timed. There's a really great podcast from the Harvard Divinity School that they do that is fantastic. And they just, their most recent episode was on the myth of modernity and was basically about how it's our favorite subject, you know, it's colonialism. Colonialism rears its head again. <laughs> basically, the enlightenment comes out of colonialism because you don't get the leisure and the time to be sitting around being rich not doing anything but thinking Mm -hmm. and poking about with a fucking microscope unless you are incredibly rich yeah and you have lots of other people doing your work for you and what that means pretty much in the kind of 16th 17th centuries 17th 18th centuries is you have slaves Mm -hmm. Um, and you have people going out doing stuff for you and you have a huge staff of paid and unpaid people yeah. who, so you can sit at the top and think hard about how great you are. Mm-hmm. And that is strongly connected to the notion that when you are thinking very hard about how great you are and you are coming into contact with a bunch of people who seem like they are not as great as you, yeah. you basically start to see yourself as a form of God. <laughs> and enlightenment values of secularism and rationality as being virtuous come about at the exact same time that people are walking into Africa and Australia and America, finding a bunch of people who do not have the same, who do not have the values of of secularism and and rationality that have just literally just been invented (laughs) and declaring that they need to be fixed, basically. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so I got real stuck into reading about that and the idea that when you are looking at superstition, that it is somehow inferior to rationality. Yeah, completely. And that's one of the sort of, it's it's an example of the sort of Ouroboros of colonialist thinking, which persists, absolutely persists today. That, yes, yes. Um, because I want to feel superior to this person, I'm going to judge them on, you know, their dialect or their fashion or their class or whatever. And because of that, that gives me the right to feel like it feeds my feeling of superiority and then that gets pushed ever further apart and it's it's absolutely yeah. how as a colonizing conquering nation european culture has sort of blasted the world apart and that's yeah, that's, yeah absolutely is a really palpable example of that because then that also leads into fear of people who are superstitious which drives you know things like witch trials and yeah absolutely and the notion that you can that these people need to be dragged into the enlightenment yes and this very much persists when i was searching around to see uh, like what books had been written on superstition for example i found a bunch of popular history books popular history books popular science books from like the Dawkins, Sam Harris kind of movement about 10, 15 years ago when like Ben Goldacre and Richard Dawkins and like the sceptical movement. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you remember that great period in <laughs> in thinking when Richard Dawkins was trying to make everybody who didn't believe in God call themselves brights. And there are a few books from that period which talk, which claim to talk about superstition. So things like superstition, belief in an age of science, believing in magic, the psychology of superstition, and an extremely popular one for the time, which is still pretty popular, why people believe in weird things, pseudoscience, superstition, and other confusions of our time. And when I started to kind of read through them, like the tone that they use is 
and the language that they use is extremely superior and mm. and colonial to a certain extent in that like so Stuart Weiss who is a professor of psychology may at Sussex I think or he was at Sussex in his introduction he says my hope is that this book will help readers to understand their own irrationality and nudge them along a truer course mm. yeah there's nothing so colonial oh, as assuming that your point of view is the best and most correct one yeah like calling it true yeah. like like the this idea that that positivist science is the capital T yeah. truth and anything it's, else, everyone else needs to be rescued for it. It's also so openly idiotic because obviously we all think that what we think is true, that is why we think. <laughs> and like, you don't get to just say that you are the only one who is right because we all feel the same way and we need to accept that. Yeah, and the Shermer book, Michael Shermer is like, the one of the kings of the rationality movement and is probably very difficult to hang around with <laughs> his book has like a, a chapter on superstitions and paranormal beliefs in which he just straight up basically says that if you don't step on three you know manhole covers or if you salute magpies or if you don't walk under ladders or don't like the number 13 then you basically believe you've been abducted by aliens those things are the same mm -hmm. and then literally like a chapter or two chapters later is holocaust denial sure like those things are the same like there's just no difference between like avoiding, a cracks, and avoiding cracks and holocaust <laughs> denial as far as michael shermer is concerned like this there's this very strong sense amongst like thinkers um what gets put in the smart thinking section of the bookshop that i work in because that's what it's called now <laughs> the that rationality that there is such a thing as pure rationality and that everyone in the whole world should be striving to be rational because irrationality is basically a personality flaw and which that is like they're just Talk, you're just talking yourself into a corner at that point because really the most rational point of view is to accept that actually on a universal scale we've got no idea what's going on yeah. and we have no way of proving it. And of course what they're basically saying once you strip out like what their what their philosophy comes from and what their their ontology is what they're really saying and they will absolutely hate me for saying this, but it's true, is that everybody should just try harder to be a bit whiter. Mm -hmm. Because if everybody was just a bit more like the European Enlightenment thinkers, yeah. then everything would be better. Because there can be nothing better than European Enlightenment thinkers. Therefore, every other culture ever is inferior and stupid. And I don't think they have any idea how colonial and racist their ideas are. <laughs> Or that even that it's a philosophy. Um, they have no yeah. clue that they have a philosophical approach to the world. Quite a strong one. Yeah, I mean, this is the Which same I think as, is you know, cute. the shouting atheists who refuse to admit that actually they have chosen a belief system. And the, their I mean, belief these, system is as much a belief system as any religion. These are basically all the same guys. They all go to conference together, conferences together and say they don't believe in belief systems. They only yeah. believe in science, which definitely isn't a belief system, Janina. What they really believe in is anything that will make them feel superior to other people. So they yeah. can basically fuck off as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. According to the Stress Management Centre and Phobia Institute of Asheville, North Carolina, up to 800 or 900 million is lost a day on every Friday the 13th because people like won't get out of bed or take flights yeah and like that is I don't know it's not that bad like <laughs> yeah no and it's like it's one day so and that that number is probably made up across the rest of the year yeah it's, you know it's fine it's fine uh, yeah. like it's not gonna kill anyone <laughs> Although think looking uh, that was another one where it was quite fun looking at the reasons that people have come up with why thirteen is an unlucky number, like the idea that there were thirteen people at the Last Supper and Judas was the first to stand up, mm. and therefore thirteen was a was an unlucky number. And for a long time, people wouldn't have thirteen people at a dinner table because the first person who would leave would die. It's also an awkward number to sit around. It is. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to have one person who's got no one to talk to. It's definitely in Harry Potter. 
It is in Harry Potter, isn't it? Mm. I've, I've got a real feeling it's an Agatha Christie novel as well, but I can't remember which one. But, like, nobody really likes it Friday the 13th. There's also another theory that Friday the 13th, 1307, Philip the Fourth of France arrested hundreds of the Knights Templar. That was, like, mm. the end of the Knights Templar for reasons that I forget. And so that's like, if anybody ever asks you about Friday the 13th, it'll either be the Jesus one or the Knights Templar one, as though people cared that much about the Knights Templar in France that they would invent an entire <laughs> entire global, well, Western superstition around it. I'll tell you what's real fun, though, is an enormous amount of research money is wasted in economics and business research in search in researching to see whether anything changes in stock prices or stock markets or if efficiency changes or if it has any Fred the Friday the thirteenth has any effect on anything. And I tell you, doesn't <laughs> I found a really fun article where people tracked a group tracked people who were born on the 13th and those who were born on Friday the 13th and then tracked their outcomes to see whether they were any like poor outcomes for those people so whether they would have worse employment or whether they would make less money or whether they would not get married or anything like that and what they found out is that if you're born on Friday the 13th Nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, fair. We find little evidence that people born on the Friday the 13th are significantly less likely to be employed, earn lower wages, or likely to stay unmarried. Like, obviously. (laughs) But I like that you, in literally 2015, did this research. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that we spent money on that. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Like, some people just... Yeah, so much money and business research money is spent on, like, does Friday the 13th change the stock market prices for this company? Does Friday the 13th change? Very little research is done on whether Friday the 17th is unlucky, which is unlucky in Italian culture, or whether Tuesday the 13th is unlucky, which is unlucky in Hispanic culture. Mm. It's almost like research is entirely dominated by anglophone countries wanging their anglophone thoughts on everybody else in the world it is it is almost like that (laughs) (laughs) who'd have thought it's amazing how we can bring everything back to this isn't it i tell you it's i really do recommend the ministry ideas podcast from the harvard divinity school because it's really good and the episode about modernity and what modernity is is really really smart and then come goes into a really good argument about race and how race is basically the origin myth that we tell ourselves in the modern western world to explain stuff it's our explanatory myth for the world in the way that prometheus and pandora and all the rest were explanatory myths for the the Greeks. So, like the concept of that race is somehow has some kind of has some kind of effect, some kind of base effect on who we are and how we work. When really, race is just a made up thing that we came up with in the sixteen hundreds to explain why it was okay for those people to be slaves and not us, and for those people to die and not us. It was just an invented thing to. To justify. to justify the world we live in and is now yeah. an explanatory thing to explain the world we live in. Yeah. It's been oh, good. us. Yeah, really, <laughs> really recommend that podcast. It is great. I have some stories of specific omens, okay, how they were interpreted them. by people, which are quite fun. They're quite I see old. that you have Publius Cludius Pulcher here, who is my one of my favourite people of all time. This is so good. It um, is so good. This is one of the stories that whenever anyone asks me to like tell them a good story about the romans this is in my top five that i pull out really <laughs> i'm amazed that i've never told you it i suspect i haven't you just you know you're talking about romans again well maybe you should tell this time then since it's your favorite you want okay so this is publius claudius claudius pulcher um who is uh very 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 rich he's like a massive aristocrat and his family are all amazing and this is during one of the punic wars against between rome and carthage when they're basically the two superpowers of the mediterranean and they are going into naval battle this is like the first one of the first times that the romans really had a navy but the romans are very very into 
omens and signs and checking with the gods that literally anything that they're about to do is okay like you can't sneeze without having checking that, <laughs> but usually killing an animal to check that it was okay with the gods that you sneezed and the rule was when you were going into battle is you would get some sacred chickens and you would sprinkle some grain on the ground and if they ate then it was okay the, then you could win and so it seems like you're just asking for a win to me like chickens mostly are probably gonna eat right they mostly do and also they've been kept in a cage and dragged around a battlefield like they probably and you probably just were not feeding them up yeah. to it so it was fairly easy um and they kind of transferred this directly over to naval battles so they just had some poor fucking chickens on a boat being wanged around and this is like a <laughs> rowboat like a trireme and just loads of slaves um dragging it along so it's quite a horrible journey i suspect um and they get these chickens out of their little cage and they put the grain down and the ch- chickens are basically seasick and go fuck off and just lie down and like not getting involved so they don't eat it so Publius Pulcher goes well if they won't eat let them drink and throws them into the sea <laughs> um, and then loses the battle yeah <laughs> and the general belief was that he had lost the battle because, it, like, obviously the gods were saying, don't go into battle, retreat, like, this yeah. is not the right time, you need to wait for a better time. But he was too impatient and and wanted to go, so he threw himself in, which is great. And, like, 99% of the time the Romans won when they were in battle, and 99% of the time the chickens ate, so it's difficult to say that it wasn't... <laughs> yeah, you can't prove them wrong. You can't prove that the chicken thing wasn't <laughs> but yeah i just love the idea of everybody watching him fling these poor little chickens who've been <laughs> dragged all the way from rome and lugged onto a stupid boat and taken out into the middle of the mediterranean <laughs> and then we're just like leave me alone i want to lie down and he just lobbed them into the sea <laughs> Very, very good. Poor chickens. I know. His Poor like, seasick chickens. Great grandson or great great grandson, who's Publius Clodius Pulcher, was then one of the best ever people of the Roman Republic. And one day we shall talk about him. But they are they're a great family, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, they're all exactly like that. <laughs> there are also a lot of stories about people deciding whether or not to go to war based on the sky. Yeah. There are a lot of eclipse stories. So there was in 585 BCE, there was a battle that had been going for, a war that had been going for five years between the Medes and the Lydians along the river Hales, or Halis, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it was just a war over a border, over who owned what bit of land. But on this particular day, May 28th, this is one of the most precise dates we have on an ancient event. It's one of the earliest dates we know because astrologers have confirmed when this eclipse happened. Um, an eclipse mm-hmm. happened. A solar eclipse. The cosmic ballet goes on. And they took it as a sign the gods disapproved of the war and were just like, all right, let's stop. The border is in the river <laughs> and you, ma- your son can marry my daughter and we will never speak of this again. Which is lo- that's, lovely. That's yeah? much more useful. That's much better. Do you want to, I've got a really good eclipse story, do you want it? Yeah. It's an Agrippina eclipse story. Oh, the best kind. So Agrippina was murdered by her son Nero mm. in horrible... He, like, she was just eventually stabbed to death. And then Nero the pretended... The most ridiculous assassination attempt, assassination attempt <laughs> potentially in the world ever? Potentially in the world ever. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> and you'll have to read my book to find out um, the whole situation because otherwise we'll be here all day. But... <laughs> Eventually she dies and he pretends that she had been trying to kill him. He claims that she had sent uh, someone to kill him. And everybody knew that this wasn't true because that would be stupid of her. But everybody was kind of scared of Nero because he'd just killed his own mother. So, and also the Senate of Rome were big pansies. So they (laughs) basically went along with it because they didn't want to die themselves. So... They he made them all give thanks and have these big ceremonies where they gave thanks to the gods for saving him from his nefarious mother and his terrible plot against him. And while they were all going through the ceremony and giving thanks and uh, thanking the gods for saving him from a plot that never existed, there was uh, an eclipse. 
mm-hmm. which was obviously a bit of a surprise to everybody. And they all took it as a sign that the gods were were angered with them for their blasphemy against uh-huh. them, for thanking them for something that they had never done when really they were basically being complicit in a terrible murder. And then it was seen as a sign that Nero's reign would be terrible from then on, which it mostly was. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the sign that his reign would be terrible was the fact that he murdered his mother. I mean, you know, it, it swings, doesn't, you know. doesn't say great things about his... <laughs> <laughs> it like, doesn't. It doesn't no, say... Kind of a measured and dispassionate leader, I think, most of the time. Of all the things that Nero was, measured and dispassionate are not <laughs> words that were ever used to describe him. Beardy, yes. <laughs> Loud, probably. Quite fancy, but uh, but never, maybe, maybe never prone measured. To prone to a tantrum, <laughs> obsessed with singing, very keen on singing, <laughs> but rarely was he ever considered to be... <laughs> Rarely was he ever considered to be measured or careful, no. Yeah. I like it when there's a bit of debate about what an eclipse means as well um, during the Peloponnesian War. An Athenian general called Nicias. Nicias. Yeah. Sure. There's no C in Greek. It's a K. We anglicise it to a key for no no reason that I understand. Sure. Absolutely. Mm Because we like to anglicise things. Yeah, um, I don't know why that happens, but I know. Uh, but it's Nicky. So. <laughs> so he had been planning to retreat from a battle uh, with the Spartans and the Syracusians. Syracusans? Mm-hmm. I yep. pronounce things ill. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was a lunar eclipse, and that made him decide not to retreat, which caused a massive debate because all of his advisors and soothsayers and holy men were like, no, you idiot, it means you absolutely should. And during all of the dithering around they did, the Spartans and the Syracusans surrounded them and completely routed them and executed Nicias. And they lost, not because it was an omen, but because they spent so much time talking about what the omen meant. Which yeah. Is kind of beautiful in a horrible way. So, this way. is another problem with when you are one very connected to the world and your cosmology says that everything that happens in the world is related to you specifically Uh, (laughs) like that everything and i do think that it's quite interesting that you would like like that there would be an eclipse and your cosmology and your your worldview is so narrow basically that you think that it even though the greeks know that there's like at the very least they know that europe exists they're pretty sure that everywhere down to india exists like Mm. and they're pretty clear that like the world like that the moon can be seen from everywhere the fact that there is a lunar eclipse it must specifically relate to you and this yeah. moment it couldn't possibly relate to anybody else no. <laughs> like if the gods are sending signs then everyone has to be able to like is seeing the sign <laughs> at, yeah. the very, at least if you like like with with things like augury like you see a bird i guess that's at least close to you or if you're doing like like sacrificial like fortune telling where you are cutting open animals and then looking at the guts to see what is going on and like you look at the guts and that like the shape of the liver will tell you what you that's a real big one like yeah the shape of the liver is is a sign of some kind there's a really good one about that where one of the versions of julius caesar's death has so when he goes into the senate just before he is assassinated he has to sacrifice an animal and check its innards to make sure that it's okay to hold a senate meeting on that day and he kills an animal and the omens are bad so he kills another one and the omens are still bad so he kills another one and this animal has no heart and everyone is a bit like he's a bit like "Mm, the omens don't look bad don't look good guys Uh, uh, like this one's this animal apparently has no heart i can't remember his i think it's either appian or plutarch like Mm -hmm. reminds the reader is like this one had no heart which is impossible (laughs) (laughs) thanks i was confused up until that point i thought that might be normal good looking but yeah at least with that, you're like, well, I sacrificed the animal. I called down the gods to specifically focus on this animal. Yeah. But like, I saw a comet. There was an eclipse. I saw yeah. something happening in the sky. Well, everyone saw that, Nikias. It could be for anyone. Maybe that's for someone else's battle. 
Yeah. Like, why do you think it's specifically for you? <laughs> this is why I like this story about Haley's Comet um, and the Battle of Hastings, because mm-hmm. reportedly, and this is one where it's like maybe these stories came up after this happened, because we don't know and it seems suspicious. But reportedly, King Harold II took the side of the the appearance of the comet as a sign that he was doomed and he was going to lose, while his enemy, William the Conqueror, took it as a message from God that he should continue to attack. And that is how the battle fell out. <laughs> William, William won, that's how. That's why we call him the Conqueror. Harold was executed on the battlefield and his successor was never crowned, so the crown passed to the Normandies because of that. And, you know, may, maybe they both thought those things beforehand, but it seems very likely that people just claimed they did. Like he knew he yeah. was doomed because of the comment, but it's kind of nice. It's kind, but if if they did, if they did actually interpret it that way, then maybe it was a self fulfilling prophecy. Maybe Harold had already yeah. kind of given up because he thought he was doomed. See, maybe, maybe, or maybe it's all a retrospective story that was told in order to explain the whole thing. Yeah, to make sense of to the make world. sense of what happened. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And that is now not really mentioned by anybody because we've moved on. Yeah, because we don't culturally believe that Haley's Comet is an omen anymore because no. we know that it just shows up every now and again. I know. And doesn't that, on the one hand, I guess that's like okay. I don't want to say better, yeah. but it's kind of nice I to try, have the mystery. It is. I try hard not to say things are better than other things. Because... And with something like Haley's Comet, something that's come again and again. That was seen by Genghis Khan and apparently was he took as a, a sign to continue all of his conquering. That And then was seen in 1456 uh, when the Ottomans were sieging Belgrade and, and caused the peasants to be inspired to fight against them and help defeat them. Like that's, you know, that's a lovely mystical comet that has had seen over a huge amount of history. That's kind of disappointing to be like, oh, yeah, it's just a <laughs> it's just a thing flying around up in space. True. I suppose that like cosmologists and astrologers and things say that it's that they like to astrologists, astronomers, sorry, that they like to um, like think of the infiniteness of the universe and consider that as beautiful and magical and mysterious instead. So everybody finds their joy everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, yeah. And it's probably best. It's probably, I think on a general scale from my own, you know, life, I'm generally happier, I think, not being terrified every time something moves in the sky. Yeah, that's pretty good. And also having central heating. So <laughs> I know I talk about how much I like houses a lot because we know a houses lot of people are, who like camping and I don't trust them. I really like hot showers. Love hot showers, Janina. I love hot showers. I love ceilings real big fan of ceilings ceilings are excellent yeah and this goes out to every single one of our friends who ever said camping is great (laughs) (laughs) camping is great when you're a child i Um, grew up camping a lot and i loved it uh but no thank you no more i did not because my dad god bless his heart would rather gnaw off his own leg than go in a tent uh yeah that's reasonable yeah i did go camping for festivals and stuff when I was younger but that was for festivals and (laughs) now I like comfort too much because I have old bones yeah anyway yeah do you think that answered the question I hope so I think I mean it's it is a big shrug basically I mean yeah like there's a lot of different little omens and superstitions and things that people see in this world that they want to imbue with a significance to themselves like that is to do with luck or magic or bad luck or something larger in the world that you can control or ward off or attract to yourself in some sense and there's no real specific reason why any of it comes from anywhere other than that that things become common and then like a lot of human stuff it's organic yeah exactly sprouts yeah and it just is but it's it's quite it is interesting to me to see the way that people try to create reverse explanations for stuff like there there has to be a reason yeah rather than maybe humans as a big species just like ascribing meaning to stuff Yeah. And sometimes we feel a bit out of control and so we like to my my theory is always very much what's the harm you know yeah, 
like much like oh my god i'm so terrible with names today uh is it voltaire <laughs> who is voltaire's paradox like that it's easier to believe in god and be right it'd be better to believe in god than and be right than to not believe in god and be wrong be so you wrong, may as yeah. well hedge your bets and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might help and it can't hurt exactly it might help and it can't hurt so you know yeah. I won't go out of my way massively to not walk over three manhole covers, but if I can do it in such a way that doesn't draw too much attention to myself... <laughs> You're going to do it. I'm going to do it, yeah. Yeah, which is great. And I'm going to keep doing it. And there it is. Yeah. Our next question is one that I've been really looking forward to for a while, actually, and is from Christopher Leach, who wrote a very nice review of the podcast a little while back, which oh. I will repost... And his question is, what is the history of albinos and are there any historically significant albinos? And the answer to that is very interesting. And (laughs) yes. And guess what we're going to talk about loads next week? (laughs) (laughs) I'm mainly going to talk about the albino guy in Princess Bride. Okay. He's very good. I like him a lot. Yes, we can talk about that. That's good. Uh, The evil albino is something that is going to come up. But also we're going to talk a lot about what people during the Enlightenment thought about uh, African albinos that they came across and how it confused them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's going to be fun. And a really good Icelandic albino. Excellent. Yeah. Um, If you have a historical question for us, then you can ask it. Uh, you can tweet us at History Sexy Pod. That's not our Twitter handle, Janina. Our Twitter handle is Sexy History Pod. Didn't I say that? No, you said History Sexy Pod. Why would I say that? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> things just come out of my mouth and I don't it's know what I've said. It's my bedtime, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, our Twitter is Sexy History Pod and our <laughs> Gmail is sexyhistorypod at gmail.com and our Facebook is Sexy without the E, History Pod on facebook and yeah and we will see them eventually and you can leave us reviews on the itunes and sometimes i will look at them we like <laughs> that we do like that also i think reviews make it easier for other people to find us they do so i don't really understand helpful. how algorithms work but apparently that is the truth apparently they do so Please try and you and can tell all us. your friends about us. We like that. Also, are we going to do Christmas quick, quick questions? We Let's are going to do Christmas yeah. quick questions because Janina is going to New Zealand for a month. So we're going to do this now. So if you have a quick question about Christmas and you will see how carefully I have said that, <laughs> then hit us up as quickly as possible because we're going to do a Christmas episode because we've got an episode coming out on the 27th of December. So that's going to be a Christmas quick questions. And you can also talk to me at at Nuclear Teeth. And I am at J9 and If. And Oliver is at Kiwa. And Janina's other podcast is Within the Wires and is highly recommended. It's in its third season now and it is great. And I think that's it. Yeah. And yeah. buy Emma's book. Also, yeah. Agrippina Empress. Wait. No, I'm um, going to be able to do it. Agrippina Empress Exile Hustler Whore. Yeah. It's um, very, very good. And you can find out the whole story about how Nero tried to kill her and then yeah. he tried to kill her. It's yeah. something else. It's quite the story. And that's it. Great. Bye, Janina. Bye.